Jenko, how are you? Good morning, Carlo. GM. GM? I love that we don't have an intro music yet. It's it's perfect. Good afternoon. It's on brand for a bunch of uh, DGen lawyers who just jump right into business. So let's do that because this is going to be a great conversation. I'm really looking exactly. forward to it. Let me let me dispense with the intro and the disclaimer, and then we will bring up our special guest for today. How about that, Jenko? Absolutely. All right. Well, welcome everyone to Lex Line, brought to you with our friends at Rug Radio, hosted by yours truly, Carlo and Jenko, where we talk about the latest developments in Web3, blockchain, NFT law. As always, nothing we talk about should ever be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should consult a lawyer. You should do that privately. You should not do that on a recorded Twitter space because that's not a privileged conversation. So you are recorded. If you come up and join us to talk, just know that we do rebroadcast these. We'll create some clips. It'll also be available on our podcast platforms via Spotify and iTunes. And I'm very happy to report that we are closing in 135 episodes of this crazy show, Jenko. I think we lost count somewhere. I think we've done more. Yeah, that's feels like more, doesn't it? It does. That's my best (laughs) estimate. So at this time, I'm going to welcome up our guest. And while I give her an opportunity to join the conversation, thank you, everyone, for joining. And if you would not mind, please retweet the space so we can fill it up, tag some Web3 lawyers that you think might be interested in this conversation. Our special guest today is president of the New York State Bar Association, Sherry Levin-Wallach. Sherry, I've had the pleasure of talking with you on a couple of occasions, getting to know you and what you are doing with the state bar especially with respect to the innovations that you are bringing to the state bar, not only in New York, but I think nationally in leading the first of its kind digital asset metaverse task force. So Sherry, I am very, very delighted to have you join us today on LexLine. And if you could, I'd love you to just take a moment to introduce yourself to the crowd, and then we'll jump into some questions because there are a lot of things I'd love to cover with you today. So thank you and welcome, Sherry. Thank you, Carlo. Thank you for having me and thank you, Janko. It's a pleasure to be here on your show. Uh, as Carlo said, my name is Sherry Levin-Wallach. I'm the president of the New York State Bar Association. And I'm also the deputy executive director of the Legal Aid Society for Westchester County, where we handle felony criminal defense and immigration and family court uh cases for our clients. So um, Carlo, uh, as as you know, we have a lot in common in in our career paths. We sure do. Um, I started out as a public defender and uh, I commend you for taking on that very honorable position. Uh, Legal aid and representing the indigent when it comes to criminal cases is uh, sometimes thankless work, but definitely very, very important and necessary work So I commend you. How did you get the interest in criminal justice? Where did that develop from, Sherry? That's a that's a good question. So I would say I've always wanted to be in criminal justice from the moment I decided I wanted to go to school after after high school. Right. So even college, I knew it was going to be something in the criminal justice field and very quickly realized that it was going to be law. I practiced in this space my entire career, starting in the Bronx DA's office. Uh, And then I had a few years hiatus doing medical malpractice defense work and went back into my own practice for 
uh, 14 years with a partner and, and three on my own as of counsel, doing criminal defense predominantly, as well as civil uh, litigation and some personal injuries. So criminal, the criminal justice has been my, my uh, career uh, path for sure. How'd I get there? I would say the simple answer, and it's never a simple answer, but um, the relatively simple answer is growing up, I, I saw uh, a lot of individuals having various interactions, either themselves, family members, or friends with the criminal justice system. And I saw the inequities that that system um, could provide for individuals, in particular people of color um, and from marginalized communities. I also saw the impact that uh, having an interaction or a conviction through the criminal justice system had on your on your life moving forward. And so uh, those two things uh, drove me further into a desire to practice in, in the criminal justice community. I love it. I had a little bit of a glitch. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Um, you know, it, it is it is definitely the place to learn and to develop your chops as a lawyer, uh, both on the DA side and on the indigent defense side, you get an opportunity to get in the courtroom in a very unique way that a lot of other aspects of our legal profession do not afford you. Is trial work something you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy being in the courtroom as opposed to transactional work? Absolutely. Um, so I, w I did assign counsel work when I was in private practice, which is when you're appointed cases by the state as well as retained work. Um, I the reason that I went straight to a DA's office out of uh, law school, in addition to wanting to be in the criminal justice field, was also to get trial experience. And I have practiced in the courtroom my entire career. And one of my passions is teaching trial advocacy. I developed the trial advocacy program for the New York State Bar Association that just finished, I believe, its 15th year um, of, of programming. And um, I've uh, I've also been a coach to the Pace Law School, a mock trial team, high school mock trial teams, and I've judged many competitions. So, um, yes, I love trial work and I love being in the courtroom and on my feet, as they say. Sounds like you also like to teach, given all the time you've put into mock trial, because big component of mock trial is obviously evaluating young aspiring lawyers and giving them critical uh, input as far as improving their skills is teaching something you also enjoy doing? Absolutely. I love to teach. I started teaching relatively soon after I graduated law school and got into practice. I started teaching and trial advocacy programming and coaching teams. I also think it's an important place to bring um, the legal profession into the communities, into the high schools and the colleges to give um, young students a feel for the law, a taste for the law, and the idea that, hey, I can do this. Um, it, it brings a lot of positive reinforcement, obviously get you speaking on your feet, um, feel that people, what you say people want to hear and confidence in standing up before groups of people. So it's a great you know, tool for any individual, not only individuals who want to practice trial work and then specifically into the trial workspace. Uh, I always tell my students, you can do this. And practice is, you know, makes perfect. Be prepared. We like to say prepared, prepared, prepared and practice, practice, practice. But some of the most uh, rewarding moments I've had is uh, teaching not only attorneys, but uh, attorney uh, students, uh, whether they be law students or, or uh, college students and seeing them get up on their feet, initially very nervous and then being able to do it by the end of the program. It's, it's so rewarding. Yeah, I, I share that passion for teaching as well. Uh, 
I'm a New Yorker born, uh, Long Island, relocated to Florida, went to law school in Miami, and now I'm in Texas. But while I was in South Florida, I did teach at a law school in Miami and practiced at a, a firm in Fort Lauderdale. So I do also share your passion for teaching. And it, it is wonderful to be able to engage with law students at that level and to watch them develop and grow their skill set and their passion and find their way. So this is a nice pivot for me because now you're president of the State Bar of New York. And I got to imagine that that comes with a tremendous amount of demands on your time and workload. How do you strike that balance between continuing to to participate in the legal aid program and run the business of the State Bar of New York? Well, I would say that from very early in my career, I was involved with the New York State Bar Association, as well as other bar associations, both in the state and nationally. So it's always been a part of my career. I would certainly say being president um, commands a lot more of your time, but uh, we were prepared for it, knowing that I was going into it. My uh, boss here, the executive director and myself, scheduled out uh, the way the, the year was going to work. And um, I would say certainly moving, you know, pivoting, as you say, Carlo, to talking about technology, the, you know, the impact of the virtual technology that we've now been using certainly has helped me um, to balance and be in two places at once, oftentimes. Um, so we respond quicker. Uh, I would say that we have to find that time when we shut down because it's hard to shut down uh, because everything's coming at us all the time but it also enables us to do a lot more. And for me, um, I enjoy it. I, lo I love doing both jobs and it makes me very happy to spend my time that way. Yeah, without question. Technology and I think what's come through COVID and the fact that we're starting to condition the system to think about working remotely, conditioning the courtrooms to, to run remotely has certainly given us a little better uh, freedom and advantage in, in running our daily practice. You know, in our Twitter space, we don't, we don't get huge crowds because we're a show that is really centered on lawyers and lawyers don't have a lot of time. So what's wonderful about technology is that we can record these and we can drop them as podcasts and we can get people to come back in and check in on these. And I know that education of lawyers is, is a big agenda for you as president of the state bar I've talked a lot on these spaces about how slow our profession is to innovate. It's just simple things like video conferencing would have been unthinkable before COVID, would have been difficult to execute. The thought of appearing in court by video conference was always just this very special thing. How are you finding the friction points in trying to engage and introduce technology innovation to the profession as the president of the state bar? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I would say that I believe and have always believed, having started out in the state bar as a young lawyer, that the way to engage the younger lawyers and the newer lawyers to our profession is to continue to be innovative within within the legal practice and to embrace the new technologies in the best way we can. Of course, while, ba while balancing the sanctity of this profession that we call law, which is such a beautiful and well-respected profession. So there are some things that work and some things that don't. And that's some of the navigation that I'm offering uh, through the programming that I've been doing and working with the New York State Bar Association 
as we develop out of out of COVID, the COVID pandemic and talk about the use of or the continued use of virtual technologies in the practice of law, but also in introducing and, and embracing, I should say, not introducing, but embracing uh, the new technology of Web3 and the metaverse and, and blockchain and what that brings to the legal profession, what we need to know and, and how we need to be able uh, to represent our clients with knowledge. Um, so learning about this space and, uh, and actually engaging in work in this space helps us learn. And then it helps us be better lawyers. And that's actually a perfect transition. I want to talk about what prompted you to initiate the initiative for the Digital Asset Task Force. It's the first of its kind, to my knowledge, in the country as far as a bar association, something I'd love to see replicated throughout the country, because I think it's critically important. Um, you know, we collectively spend a lot of time in these spaces trying to figure out what's going on in Web3 law. And there are no easy answers because we don't have a lot of reference points. So I think it's commendable that you've taken on this. What, what prompted you to jump into this as, as an area of emphasis for the Bar Association? Well, so it's, it's very... Thinking about what prompted me, I think when I was coming into my presidency, so you, the year before you develop what focuses you want to have, what additional maybe task forces you want to create to focus on particular areas of interest that you feel are of importance to the membership, um, to the practice of law, and of course, of our, our importance to you as well. So as we were looking at that and looking at the virtual technologies that we were dealing with, this idea of you know di cryptocurrencies, digital technologies, um, blockchain, all of this starts coming more and more to the forefront of the discussion, um, and it's not the same. Um, although I think that that's part of the education we need to embrace, right? Is is that it's not the same? Although it, you know it, it's different technologies. Um, that's not to say that they can't support one another, and um, but it is the the te technology res the revolution, if you will. And so I thought about that. Um, some individuals who were uh, working with me came to me and said, well, "What do you think about what's going on with crypto?" And at that time, it was cryptocurrency, right? NFTs were the main focus there on um, what do you think is going on and 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 do you, I think this might be something that an association should look at a very at the same time my good friend Mark Beckman who's been a guest on your show um, and uh, the president and founder of DMA United had written his book and I read his book and connected with him and very quickly realized that this was an area where a task force was needed to uh, advance these ideas across the, the New York State Bar Association's membership, but the, not only that, but the legal community um, as a whole. And I will tell you, uh, Carlo, you're absolutely right. Um, we've gotten international recognition on this. I spoke to the University of Florence a conference they had um, about a month ago now, maybe even less. Um, and I've spoken um, to other bar associations as across the across the world, really, about these technologies and the importance of getting into that space. So I'm 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 very proud of the work of the task force. We've done a number of educational programs, CLE programs, symposiums in conjunction with NYU. And I have to give a shout out to the NYU SPS Metaverse Collaborative, 
Um, I'm on their advisory board and I enjoy working with them and they've been incredibly supportive of our task force um, and our programming. And I believe this will be our third program that we've been involved with at NYU coming up at the end of this month, which I'm getting ahead of us on, but uh, I'll leave that for later. No, I love, I'm glad you brought up Mark because I was going to mention him. Uh, I met you through Mark. He was a guest on LexLine. We had a wonderful conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with him and glad to make the friendship with Mark. I think it's amazing that uh, his book was the, the driving force that inspired you to pursue this because I think every lawyer in this space who has an affinity for Web3 and digital asset technology can point to that one thing that opened their world to this and that opened their world to the possibilities of what it could do for the profession of law for me, it's Professor Aaron Wright and his book, uh, Code is Law. That was the book that really opened my eyes to the potential. So I, I think it's awesome that, uh, that, that Mark was able to do that for you and that you're able to now work with Mark and benefit from the resources of NYU. So before we pivot to the upcoming conference, I wanted to talk a little bit about the profession itself and in, in, in all of your time you've spent going across the country and across the globe talking about Web3 and the law, are you finding the legal profession to be receptive and open to this? Are you finding them to be skeptical or where, where in the middle does it lie? So um, first of all, before, before I answer that question, I do want to give one other shout out to Liz Benjamin, who is a consultant who works with the New York State Bar Association, who, who also uh, was very instrumental in putting this issue on my radar. So um, I want to give her a shout out. It's what much very well deserved. Um, as far as answering your question, am I finding people receptive? I think the answer is absolutely. Am I finding people skeptical? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think we all know um, the legal profession does move slowly. Uh, as we can see, it's what I find very interesting is actually the, um, the, the difference between what we're seeing happening, let's say, in somewhere like the U.S., where um, largely the, this has become not only regulatory, but really case law driven um, as it developed the legal the legal parameters um, develop, whereas other, in other countries, it seems to be more um, legislative driven or, or law driven. Um, but it is it, across the board, I would say it is something that everyone's looking at, everyone's interested in, and everybody, and when I say everybody, I'm talking about within the legal profession, um, they are... It, people are touching on this and those individuals that are skeptical saying, Oh, that'll never, you know, I don't have to learn about that because it won't touch my area of practice. The next day their client comes in and they have cryptocurrency or digital asset of some kinds. And let's say they're seeking, you know, uh, maybe they want to create a trust or maybe they have a, a, a family matter where they're looking for, um, you know, representation in a matrimonial action and um, they have assets. Uh, it goes everywhere to criminal, you know, fraudulent uh, creation of, of the fraudulent creation of identities and, and money laundering through the space. Um, so then the criminal law touches on it. And of course, you know, we've got copyright, trademark. Uh, this is what we're hearing about all the time, the regulatory taxation. All these questions are being raised. Real property. Um, you know, there are companies out there now buying up real property in the form of an NFT and then fractionalizing it for um, investors to have ownership. 
this is amazing where this is going. And I think the more we talk about it and the more we educate about it and the more we open up spaces for the conversation, the more that we're learning and becoming engaged in a way that we can provide that representation that our clients so desperately need and are going to continue to need. Um, but the other point and I want to raise is that we also have to embrace the technology. And so that's some of what we're looking at is embracing the technology. How can we use this technology to provide opportunities, um, for example, in the New York State Bar Association as a membership opportunity, meaning a benefit to membership. So we're looking at all kinds of different ways that we can use um, the technology to provide to uh, provide access to resources um, and um, to provide benefits to our members. You know, I'm curious to ask you this question because I've been pretty deep in this now for going on a couple of years and showing up every day, very passionate about putting out content and teaching and learning myself and understanding this new and innovative tech and still feel very early. And I think, I think part of my question is, where do you predict the profession going when it, when it comes to Web3? But my bigger question is, do you find that it just is downright funner playing in this Web3 space when it comes to law? Because from my perspective, I've found and I've made some of the funnest and best connections ever with lawyers in this particular aspect of legal practice. And I don't know what it is about it, but it just seems to be a really fun, engaging space to be. Have, have you enjoyed your time in Web3 engaging with these lawyers? So, it, yes. And I love the word funner, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I would say yes. For example, um, it makes us global. And I talk about this all the time, right? I talk about the fact that these new technologies, the Web3 technologies, metaverse technologies, the virtual technologies, they've made the legal community global, more global than ever. So where we were always reaching out and international attorneys were always practicing across you know, country lines and were practicing across state lines um, and various other things, um, now we're global. We're in this space and we are global. And more so than ever, I think that's one of the most exciting parts about it, but also one of the most challenging parts. Um, about it. So um, to that point, it keeps you always thinking, it keeps you on your toes, but you're able to engage in conversations with people across the world, all having the same exact experiences um, as to how this technology is impacting their legal communities. So in that regard, it's been incredibly um, exciting and I think wonderful opportunity for the New York State Bar Association. Um, you know, certainly New York is a leader in this space and we're a leader in the law. So um, this just takes us into that space in another leadership role. But also to get more more specific to your point, the lawyers, absolutely. I love engaging with lawyers who are practicing in the Web3 metaverse space, crypto space, um, the regulatory space. There are so many different um, apps aspects of the practice of law um, covering what we call Web3, the metaverse. Um, and it's, the, yes, what a wonderful group of people, individuals who are innovative, creative. We see the big law firms all have departments now, um, you know, focused on this space. Um, and it really opens up opportunities and makes the conversation, to your point, Carlo, very interesting 
interesting and exciting all the time. And you can have lawyers who practice from completely different areas of law. So you can have a family law practitioner and a criminal practitioner or even more diverse than that, let's say a criminal practitioner and a tax law pr practitioner. But now we're together having the same conversation about how this is impacting the practice of law as a whole. So it's bringing us together as a community. And I think that's really exciting. I love it. We're having more fun. So yeah. I want to give you an opportunity. I pinned up into what we call the nest on a Twitter space, which is basically the little banner at the top here. The deep dive into the metaverse and Web3, the first global law symposium brought to you by the New York State Bar Association and hosted at NYU. I want to give you a chance to discuss what is coming, what's happening, uh, to invite uh, lawyers in the space to sign up and attend. And while you do that, I want to invite some of the superstars we have in the space here today, some of the great Web3 lawyers out there, and anyone else who has questions for Sherry to please ask to come up as a speaker because I don't want to take up all your time. I know there's some lawyers here who definitely would love to talk to you. So tell us about the upcoming conference and and kind of give us the, the TLDR, as we say in the space. Sure, absolutely. So I'm going to start with a disclaimer, which is if I fail by mistake, to not mention one of our outstanding speakers, let me start by saying the list of speakers is outstanding and it's global. And I love that. That was the goal of this conference was to bring together a conversation from um, really across the world uh, in, in metaverse and Web3 and the digital technologies and assets and how they interact with the law. You know, we titled it the first global law symposium. That's the hope that we will continue this project um, beyond this year. So the, the program, is, as you said, is being hosted by NYU's Metaverse Collaborative and the SPS at NYU. But we're also working in conjunction with NYU Law, the dean um, of both the SPS, Dean uh, Kamath, and the dean of NYU Law, Dean uh, McKenzie, have been incredibly supportive of, of our programming. Uh, and we do have representative speakers, um, professors from both of those schools, as well as the Stern School um, at NYU. We've joined together, partnered with bar associations really from across the country and around the world, including the Law Society of England and Wales and the Bar Council of England and Wales, which has been incredibly uh, supportive in sending speakers from the UK, including Matthew Kimber from the Law Commission, who's going to be uh, doing the opening um, discussions with me. Um, and, um, and we have others which I will um, list as, as I get further down on the agenda. Um, but those two organizations and, and the British Consul have been really helpful in, in providing support for this program. So I want to make sure that I that I call them out. We also have the support of the California Lawyers Association and, and its president, Jeremy Evans, who's going and its executive director, uh, Yango Schnell, who are going to be part of our uh, programming. And uh, Jeremy has been working hard to put together um, one of our panels for the program. Um, and uh, we have the Bar Association, the Bar Barcelona Bar Association, um, the UIA, the International Bar Leaders one of the Bar Leaders Associations, um, all joining together with us to, um, to put on this incredible conference. We've been very lucky. And we have the support and collaboration with the American Bar Association's international section. So we have a wonderful relationship with the ABA, and um, they've also been supportive of this program. It's really, it's really wonderful to see. Um, and I must not leave out my good friends at the Ukrainian Bar Association, who we've been doing a lot of work with in supporting the lawyers of Ukraine, and they too are supporting, partnering with this program with us. 
Um, we have um, our sponsors, although there's still room for more sponsors if, if you or your firm chooses to. Um, but we've got Nixon Peabody, Winston Strawn, Johan Lee, um, Jurat Blockchain, uh, as well as Falcon Rappaport and Berkman all, all sponsoring um, the program. So we've got a great lineup of speakers. It's going to be held from April 28th starting at noon um, through uh, the evening of Saturday, the um, 29th. We have um, a wonderful reception planned at Nixon Peabody on Friday afternoon after the program ends for networking. And then we have a great uh, closing reception at the Bryant Park Hotel Salon Lounge on Saturday evening as well. So there's great opportunity for networking as well as learning. It is a CLE accredited program. Although for those of you who don't need CLE, we do have an opportunity um, to register without CLE credit if you're not a lawyer. Um, and we have speakers coming from Tel Aviv, Israel, from Dominican Republic. Pablo, I see, is on here as well, so I'm going to have to give him a shout-out, as well as Matt Feinberg, Pablo Segarra, and Matt Feinberg, who are panel co-chairs. I know longtime listeners of your program. Um, and coincidentally, that's not how I met you, so I love that, how we came together in the Web3 space. Um, we've got people coming from Brooklyn Law School. We've got people coming from Chicago, from California, from Brazil, uh, just all real from, as I mentioned, also from um, uh, Barcelona. So we've got people from all over. We've got Roger Brown from Chainalysis is going to be a speaker. Um, and I, I can go on and on um, just mentioning all the incredible speakers that we have lined up for this program. We are going to have Mark Beckman and, and Professor Liz Haas from NYU. They're going to be doing a program on the cities. Um, which I think is a, a highlight, how cities across the world are using the metaverse. And they are going to be speaking with Ernest uh, Chopra from Washington, D.C., and Michael Clare from Nassau, Bahamas on that. So um, there's a lot of exciting um, programming here, talking about regulatory on Saturday morning. We have um, partners from Winston Straw, Kimberly Pryor, and Daniel Stabile. have to give them a shout out. They're co-panel -cha chairs. And uh, Yamika Stevenson from um, Deloitte, who's also a panel chair. So we've got an amazing um, group lined up. And then I have to end by talking about my good friend, Brandon Malone from Scotland, who is a barrister and arbiter who's uh, going chairing our Web3 Issues Arising in Dispute Resolution and Mediation panel. Um, so again, I can go on and on. We have an amazing group of people, uh, amazing list of speakers. Um, if I didn't mention you, it's because the list is so long and impressive. Um, but I know it's up there on the, on the space, Carlo. And um, feel free to answer any questions of, of others um, who are going to be joining us as well. All right. You sold me. I'm booking and I'm coming to your conference. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. I, I will be there. Too exciting to pass up. And it gives me the opportunity to meet Mark, to meet you, and to see my old friend Matt and all of my other friends in New York. So, yes, I will be there. Ira is uh, one of our regulars on the show. You know, one of the things I love most about doing this show with Jenko is that we get to talk to really smart people in the Web3 crypto and blockchain space. And Ira is one of those people, and I always enjoy when Ira joins us. Ira, what do you have to say to the president of the State Bar Association, Sherry Levin-Wallach? Welcome, well, Ira. Sherry, it's a, it's a real honor and, and pleasure to meet you through uh, this platform. And uh, you're doing really, really great things for the New York State Bar Association. Uh, 
And if things would have actually turned the way they should have, I should actually be within your jurisdiction and not 3,000 miles away here in Silicon Valley. But you have, <laughs> you have basically a large cadre of other Rothkins, from Simpson Thatcher to Rosenberg. Um, my sister went to Brooklyn Law School, so they're all in the New York State Bar. And for some reason, a lot of my tech cases over the years have been in the Southern District of New York. And fortunately, <laughs> the judges there have approved my Pro Hoc Vici applications. And so all I could say right now is that I'm, I'm really happy and, and impressed that um, you're helping to lead the way for New York to be a, a major player in, in Web3. And frankly, it, it, it is still and, and, and was a major player in Web2. A lot of my internet copyright litigations have taken place there. And there's a ho whole lot of work that my friend Julie Samuels, who runs a very large tech organization in New York, a nonprofit helping a lot of the technology companies there. She used to work with EFF in California, moved back to New York, and has now lived there for a very long time, and I hear great things. So I'm very supportive, and um, I know my bar here in California, as you mentioned, is, is also assisting. So if there's anything that I could do, I'm, I'm happy to help, and it's just an honor to meet you. Uh, well, thanks so much, Ira. And it's great to meet you too. And, and I'm thrilled with all your connections to New York. And as you were mentioning the Southern District, you know, um, I, I, I remembered also that I should mention that two other speakers that are going to be at our conference um, are individuals who are involved in the Hermes Roy trial case. So we've got Ira uh, Warshavsky uh, speaking from Baker, uh, who, was in, who uh, represents Hermes. And um, we have a professor um, Sprigman from NYU Law, who's involved with the Rothschild um, team. So it should be really interesting. And, um, and to your point, I'm happy to have California involved. Um, we have a great collaboration with the California uh, Lawyers Association, and I hope that will continue uh, for many years to come. Wonderful. Ira, thank you for joining. You're a mensch. Josh, Josh is one of our Web3 lawyers. He focuses on art, law, Josh is down in Fort Lauderdale, and you want to talk about a small world, Sherry. When I was coming up as a public defender, Josh's old man was a legendary criminal defense lawyer in Broward County, and it did not click to me until several months into knowing Josh that his father was the same attorney Lita that I knew in Fort Lauderdale. So talk about a small <laughs> world. That sure is. Hey, good afternoon, Sherry. Good afternoon. Josh, did we lose you? you yeah, okay? I thought we did. I rugged. I got rugged. You got to love the magic of Twitter spaces. <laughs> yes. Can you guys hear me now? Absolutely. Yeah, Sherry. So it's so funny. What, what Carl was speaking to about just the small world nature of it is very funny. I do have a question for you, but something that you mentioned, the, the city's aspect, that's something that I mm -hmm. deal with a lot, actually. And mm -hmm. I think it's really fascinating. So I have a client that just had a summit and they do public art NFTs. That's a platform mm -hmm. and they're trying to encourage cities to get involved in that. So I found mm -hmm. that the conversations with the different municipalities to be very fascinating. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how that panel goes. But my question is this, um, you have a lot of support globally from a ton of bar associations, which is really amazing. And at least in my mind, relatively rare, right? It, before in, in the law. But because of the nature of this technology, where do you see the interactions and maybe actual, you know, it, uh, joint task force or joint partnerships amongst state bars or maybe even international bars going forward on a more regular basis? Do you think that's something we might see? 
as this space grows? So Josh, that's actually a great and very exciting um, question that I have a lot to say about because um, to your point, yes, it is exciting. Um, The New York State Bar Association has an international section and we have partnerships with um, bar associations across the world. And we sign memorandums of understanding um, generally about uh, working together to educate and to put to promote um, the mission of our organizations. We have a memorandum of understanding with um, with Madrid, with Barcelona. I just signed um, with the, with Poland. Um, we have them with uh, the Ukrainian bar, as I mentioned, and we've been doing a lot of work with them. Um, the Law Society of England and Wales, the Bar Council, the Law Society of Scotland, um, the US Virgin Islands, and the Colegio de, de Abogado, E Abogada, my Spanish is terrible, um, but uh, Puerto Rico, uh, the Puerto Rico Bar Association. And um, so we are global in that way. And to your point about these partnerships, that's exactly one of the things that I'm hoping this conference shows is how we can partner together um, in this space also um, using those 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 joint efforts. Um, so we don't have to have an MOU with you to, to partner together at all. Um, we work with many different groups, um, but this is one way that we put our kind of our, 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 you know, the words on paper and our commitment to one another. And then we form um, chapters in these various countries and, and territories across the world and other states as well, um, where members of the bar in those states and countries can join the New York State Bar Association and at, be active in the chapter as well as the larger organization. In fact, we just came off of a meeting in Warsaw, Poland, um, just last week at our international section held um, with the with the Warsaw Bar Association and the Bar Council there. Um, so to your answer, I see this happening all the time. I see it becoming more and more um, uh, as as the norm as opposed to the exception. And to your point, this conference um, is is capitalizing on those relationships and really trying to bring everybody into the joint space. And I I would mention also that this conference will be live streamed. Um, it won't be hybrid. It won't be interactive, but it will be live streamed. So if you're not able to come to New York, you can register for the live stream um, and, and watch the conference. Um, so I strongly you know encourage that as well. Josh, thank you, as always, for joining us. When Texas chapter, Sherry. <laughs> whenever, whenever, whenever you want, Carlo. <laughs> All right. I'm going to I'm going to try to make that happen. I see that our guest today is also the the Twitter page for the New York State Bar Association. They've come up to speak. I'd love to welcome you up if you have anything you'd love to add to the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Hello, my name is Ian. I'm the social media specialist for the New York State Bar Association. I just had a quick question. Could anyone tell me the general consensus between the transition from proof of work to proof of stake? What that's looking like, what the progress is, and how that might affect a lawyer? Excellent question. We happen to have some tremendous brains in the house. um, And... I think from my perspective, when it comes to proof of work and the transition to proof of stake, number one, the energy efficiency. One of the biggest digs we've seen against crypto is that it is very toxic to the environment because it consumes so much electricity. And the transition from going from proof of work to proof of stake is a solution. Ethereum flawlessly made that transition. 
It was something that the space was looking at very closely, very concerned about, and was able to execute that flawlessly. And if I'm missing anything, big brains in the house, please come up and correct me. Another component of the transition from proof of work to proof of stake, which is also exciting, is, of course, the simplicity of it. And now it does come with concerns because proof of work, Bitcoin being the traditional and the OG proof of work by some advocates of digital uh, currency, believe that that is the only real way to guarantee the, the integrity of the blockchain and that proof of stake is obviously an innovation on that. But proof of work comes with a lot of negative connotations. Many of the regulatory attacks we've seen against crypto have come from people who have dug on the environmental aspects of it. Sherry, if I missed anything and you want to add, by all means, but I think if I had to say those are the big, important uh, innovations that proof of stake has brought to the chain. I mean, I would I would also say that um, I, I think that when you look at um, the space as a whole, oftentimes people go into the monetary aspect of it, right? Of course, we're a capitalistic society. Um, and so people are looking at it from the perspective of the financial aspects, which of course are incredibly important. Um, but I think the other part of it is what it's done for the art industry and what it can do for organizations like ours, membership-based organizations, where the blockchain technology can be used to make access to information uh, more efficient, easier, and safer because it's protected and private. And so I think that that's another place um, where, you know, we have to kind of make that distinction. It doesn't only have to be used directly as a currency or a, a, a security or something that you know, appears to be a security. And I know we're having these conversations in the legal space right now. Um, but it can provide value from an educational standpoint and from an artistic standpoint. Um, and I think that's, I think some of the distinctions that are being made right now or discussed at least, um, and we're getting more and more clarity as we go across that space. Um, so I think that's another part of it that we should think about. I hope we answered your question, New York State Bar Association. If you have any <laughs> follow-up on that, by all means. He knows where to find me. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I want to give anyone else who has a question for you, Sherry, the opportunity to come up and ask. Um, I know that Matt's in the house. Pablo's in the house. Bird Nalls. We've got some great lawyers. Ira, anything to add? Yeah, um, I, I'm going to uh, abstain from discussing anything regarding Ethereum and staking. No, I'm just joking. I, mm -hmm. I, uh, I have legacy relations with Ethereum and the co-founder of Ethereum, so I'm not going to say anything that heckles. Um but it has led to a much more, you know, efficient environment ecosystem. And uh, it also allows for a lot more transactions, et cetera. So I think the transition has been excellent. Um, so let me, let me give a pain point. I've been doing this for over 30 years and I do practice a lot in web three and web two. And we have to call out the elephant in the room. And that is, is that whenever you're a lawyer, working for a major media site, a major website, major web apps, Web3, the blockchain, you don't know where the borders are. You know, I'll be sitting there in here. I'm, I'm right now in the Silicon Valley area. But if I were to go ahead and be intellectually honest and forensically examine all the connections that my clients have in their, in their technologies and operations, we got a lot of New York. And a lot of arbitration in New York, and I've arbitrated in New York, and we've got a lot of London, 
a lot of Asia. And I'm, you know, I just want to know what you think, Sherry, because the way that I look at this is that, you know, I'm called upon in my, in my career to go across the world for everything from mm-hmm. extraditions to what have you. Even in extraditions, mm-hmm. you need U.S. lawyers to discuss with local counsel things like dual criminality because you can't be extradited mm-hmm. unless you violate the laws of both countries in many instances. And so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm noticing that the world's becoming a flat place, but we still have archaic rules. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we rely upon the good faith of local jurisdictions to go ahead and have a rule of reason, you know, but it would be nice for the various bar associations to lead the way to basically mm-hmm. create safe harbors for lawyers so that if I'm hanging out in New York and I want to go visit my family on Long Island and I want to open up an office on Long Island and advise only on California law um, or work with a team there to help folks abroad where my input's on California law, um, there should be safe harbors for that thing. I mean, I'm a member of the Second Circuit, but what are your thoughts about how we have a, a flat world, how we have cross multi, you know, form multi multiple jurisdictions, but we still have these archaic rules for both litigators and transactional lawyers. So I think that's a very interesting and appropriate comment um, from two perspectives. So, and there was a, there was a lot in there. Um, let me say this: one of the things that the task force is looking at, as well as um, other committees within the state bar, we have a committee on technology and the law, and we have our professional discipline committee and our committee on ethics. Um, they are looking at a lot of these questions, and they are so many questions now in this space. In fact, um, there was just a conversation. Um, you know, regarding um, the question as to the lawyers, the ethics of lawyers accepting cryptocurrency, right? And when is it currency and when is it property? I'm not going to answer that. I don't have an answer. It's a a topic, right? Um, And it's being explored. But to your point, Ira, so many of these things are being explored. And that's actually exactly why the importance of conferences like the one I'm having and the work that I'm doing, I believe is so important to the law is because to your point, Um, this new space has no boundaries. And so, you know, we can push, you know, we can say one country can say, okay, I'm going to make it illegal, but what's to stop somebody from still operating in, 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 in the web space, right? Where are you? And then, you know, oh, well, is it where you're based and where you're living or is it where you transfer your asset or where you purchase your asset and, and we can go on and on, right? Um, so there are so many questions that are still being worked out. And I think now is the time as these laws and these uh, regulations and policies are developing for us to be working together as a as a, um, a larger legal community, right? Um, as a global legal community to answer some of these questions. And then, you know, more specifically, you, you, you know, you kind of pointed on some questions regarding um, like location of lawyers and things like that. So for example, one of, one of the legislative priorities for the New York State Bar Association has been um, the uh, amendment to Judiciary Law 470 that requires a lawyer to have an office in New York. So um, and we've been pushing, you know, that that is a legislative priority. Um, so there's a lot of things happening um, in that I think will help to develop and answer those questions. Um, 
But uh, yeah, now's the time, right? So this is why we need to bring together these global voices to talk about what's happening here and what's happening there and how we can make some sense of it all. Um, I also just will add that one of the other things that we are lawyers, we need to be innovators as lawyers to find figure out ways um, that we can better practice and provide opportunities for practice um, for to meet the needs of the client base, right? Um, and one of the big things also as a, not only the president of the state bar as a criminal defense attorney, but as a practitioner of my whole life is access to justice. You want to make sure there's access to justice across the board. And so I think that's something that, that we have to focus on. Ira, that's a great question. I love it because it touches on something that's very important in Web3 because we have such a small pool of lawyers who understand this technology because we're all so early. And when you get into the area of multi-state practice, it does get a little bit convoluted. Now, just for those who, who maybe are not familiar with this, generally speaking, federal cases and federal practitioners are able to come into these cases if they can represent the expectation that they'll be admitted pro hoc vice in the event that it turns into something that's going to be litigated and require a court appearance. But it is a gray area when it comes to the literal multi-state component of it. And I think that's something we do need to crack, Sherry, because we've got so many talented lawyers that are concentrated in major cities like New York and California, Silicon Valley, but we've got legal issues around Web3 emerging all over the country. So I, I commend the bar on taking that up as an initiative. Uh, Johnny, you came up to speak. Johnny is a uh, new person to the law profession. Welcome. And uh, any questions for Sherry? Thank you for joining yeah. us on LexLine. Thanks. Thanks. Great space. Um, thanks for joining, Sherry. So I, I am new. I, I had the unfortunate position of starting law school right around COVID time. And so a lot of it was online and I didn't get the good as much like practical experience, like standing up doing mood stuff as I probably could have. Um, I'm seeing early reports that bar scores are down <laughs> from when uh, all of us started, uh, maybe not the best education. And so we're coming off and now we're kind of rolling into this new era of AI and web three, um, in a reformation of the law space. And all I say all I have to say is I young lawyers and that the lawyers in general as a profession have a reputation for kind of having uh, struggling mental health, substance abuse issues. Mm -hmm. For us coming out of law school who are really at a are now like staying working from home. There's a lot of confusion uh, as to the direction of, the, of that law will take, uh, the law practice will take. What kind of efforts is the New York Bar doing to sustain young lawyers um, and any lawyers in this new world of legal practice? So that's such, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. One of the other focuses of my presidency has been uh, mental health and trauma-informed representation, as well as attorney well-being. Um, and the the you know the line that gets crossed there as well, right? When when attorneys are representing individuals living with mental illness and trauma, uh, I have a task force on mental health and trauma-informed representation, and it was the the topic of my presidential summit in conjunction with the attorney well-being aspects of it. Um, the New York. State Bar Association has an, a very active 
um, Attorney Wellbeing Committee, as well as a Lawyer's Assistance Program. And for all members of the Bar Association, you have access to a 24-hour-7 hotline that we just put in this year. Um, we have access to um, Lawyer's Assistance Programs around the state, and um, we're working. Another collaboration is potentially assisting other Bar Associations with establishing um the uh, programming like that and, and, and supporting their programming as well. Um, so from the mental health standpoint, we're doing everything we can to support and to also make it uh, destigmatize it. Right. Um, you know, you get, you break, you get, you break your leg, um, you know, uh, on your skateboard and you go to the hospital and you get it fixed. Um, you have a mental illness diagnosis and people are stigmatized and marginalized and um, can't always get the access to um, or the support for access to um, the, the, the help that they need. And so it's, it's something that the state bar is working on. Uh, we have a, a report coming out from that task force in June. We just had an excellent preview of that report presented to our House of Delegates just last Saturday. If you remember, you can watch the live stream of that. Um, and like I said, we have an incredibly active attorney um, well-being committee. Um, and I spoke actually at the UIA, International Bar Leaders Conference, on, on this very topic and what we can do across the world um, to support one another, to support um, people living with mental illness and trauma and also um, you know, coming out of COVID and into the profession. Now that's the mental health aspect of it. Um, the other aspect of it, I think you asked was, you know, what are we doing to support young attorneys? Um, and we have a young lawyer section that's very active in our association. Every task force that I've created has law students um, as well as um, younger attorneys on it. It's been a focus of mine, as I told you earlier in the program, for teaching and providing opportunities. Um, we are uh, providing training for young lawyers and engagement for young lawyers, but not only through our young lawyer section, through all our sections, I would say there's been a, a consistent outreach to engage and bring them in. And I would end by saying this. One of the things for a, a new young lawyer um, is engagement in professional organizations, which in this digital world, I think is less and less something that is on the top of their radar. Um, but it is very important because it provides you with the resources and support that you need within your profession. People you can go to with questions, commiserate with when you have a bad day, who understand what you've gone through. Um, and so to that end, whether you're virtually engaging or in person engaging or both, um, now you have that opportunity, I would strongly, uh, you know, encourage it. Such a good question, Johnny. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, as a young lawyer, you're confronting two big challenges right now, entering the profession and all the stress that comes with it. And there are a lot of mental stresses that come with practicing law because let's face it, we spend a lot of time doing risk assessment and trying to anticipate threats and protect our clients. And that can be mentally exhausting. And you're also facing the, the, the extra layer of exhaustion, which is practicing law in web three, which is a space that moves lightning fast, Sherry, and mm -hmm. the updates come, you know, I, I have to thank a lot of the lawyers that are in this space because we collectively keep each other apprised of the latest developments. And if it were not for that community that's developed here, and that sharing of information and knowledge, I don't know how any one person can keep up with it all. Um, it, it is just moving at such a fast pace. I see Mark has joined yep. uh, the space. Thank you for joining us, Mark. And uh, I'm you missed really, his really... shout out. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had a great, you got some flowers today, Mark. You know, Carlo, 
But, you know, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add to that, Carlo, um, you know, what I think is very important about what you were saying about um, the the rapidness of the movement. This is one of the things I'm trying to impress upon um, lawyers, bar association members and associations. I say to people, if I had named this task force now, I probably would have had a completely different name for it. But I named it almost two years ago. Right. Or a year and a half ago. Um, And so. Um, that's how quickly it's moving. But even more so than that, I've heard speakers who get up in this space and when, when they start their conversation, they say, okay, I haven't checked my email in 15 minutes. So the information I'm telling you, it might be wrong <laughs> because everything might've changed. And I think that's a really important point. Yeah. Before I kick it to Ira, that's, that's interesting because we talk about that all the time on this space because what we do here, because it's live and because it's kind of like the, the new iteration of AM talk radio is we get to unpack these legal developments in real time as they're happening. And we don't always have all the information and we don't always have all the answers, but it is fun trying to figure it out. Ira, what'd you want to add? I love having Sherry here because it's like, I can, I can go ahead with my, with my pent up desires for like state laws and, you know, for, for lawyers. Um, I know in California a while back, the legislature passed a statute that protected lawyers who advised cannabis folks because there was so much litigation going on and it was an ambiguous area and they didn't want to have a chilling effect on people having a right to counsel even if the counsel ends up being wrong and i think that the space that we're in right now with web3 really is crying out for this sort of thing um i really feel for um you know coinbase's gc uh who who I used to argue in front of, he was a magistrate judge in Silicon Valley in federal court. And you have a scenario where even Ethereum, at least according to a recent complaint from the New York attorney general, they're arguing it's illegal. It's an illegal security. And so now you have a scenario where a lot of folks, you know, want to get into web three, practice law in web three, get into being a really intellectual nerd about it and to advance the area they mean absolutely no harm and they could be engulfed accidentally look i don't mean folks willfully but accidentally into the next ftx where all they wanted to do was pursue a career in web3 so i think it would be really helpful for for you know new york is a very important area for this for the New York State Bar Association and California Bar and others to basically do what they can to influence local regulators, local law enforcement, maybe the legislatures, to create safe harbors for lawyers so they can practice in this area and not get have gotcha situations where their entire career is at risk because they guessed wrong about whether or not Ethereum was lawful or not or whether or not Coinbase was involved in even potentially, you know, uh, crimes of first instance. So I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Sherry? Well, Ira, you're 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 my you're perfect for me today because it gives me an opportunity to promote something that we just did on Saturday. New York State Bar Association just adopted the interim report of our task force. And one of the resolutions was exactly that, to, without reading the specifics because it's it's detailed, but you can find it on our website and there's been press releases. But to engage, to allow the New York State Bar Association to engage in this conversation, to 
be part of this conversation to recommend and have discussions about regulatory legislative licensing and the various um, uh, explorations that are going on. And also keeping in mind all of the things that we've been talking about, about balancing, you know, growth and well-regulated digital finance and related business. So to your point, we passed a resolution to give us that voice, to allow us to continue down this path. Um, and so there you go, Ira, we agree. <laughs> wow. Breaking news on Lex. We're working on it. We're working on it. I love it. Thank you, Ira, for bringing that up. Line. We're supposed to argue, right, Carla? <laughs> no, today we agree. Today it's a kumbaya moment, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What so a fantastic will... conversation, Sherry. Thank you so much. I want to give you the opportunity, if you have any closing remarks, uh, for not only the folks in the space, but when it goes out on podcast, anything you'd like to add as far as where you're building and what direction you're taking the Digital Asset Task Force and the State Bar Association when it comes to digital assets. I'd like to give you the floor to to to, to give us some closing thoughts before we end for today and send everybody back to their desk to work. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I would say a couple of things. First of all, of course, um, join us in April, whether you can be there in person, which of course I strongly encourage because then we all get to meet each other um, or watch the the live stream of, of the program. I think it will really have a lot of discussions on a lot of the topics that were raised here today and many others that I'm sure are on your minds. Um, but also one of the reasons that I really wanted to promote this within a bar association, the importance of this in bar association work is to do exactly what we're doing here today and what you've done on your show, um, Carlo, um, which is really to bring people together in this space, to give them a home. So you have an opportunity as a lawyer, you know, join the New York State Bar Association, um, it, engage in this space, write to us. We will definitely add you into this space um, moving forward. We, we want to provide a platform for attorneys to have this conversation um, and a place for this conversation to be discussed with the as we, you know, the, those individuals who are living this and breathing this every day. Um, so I think in that regard, it's been a great conversation and a great opportunity. Um, beyond that, uh, I, I would I would simply say that um, moving forward, I, I hope uh, that we will continue to be innovators. I believe that we will be uh, both lawyers in the in the practice of law, but in the New York State Bar Association, and in and keep in touch. You know, we look forward to working with you. Uh, join and and come to our programming. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Thank you so much. And on behalf of everyone here, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you are super busy. You've got a lot of things going on. And uh, delighted, looking forward to meeting you and catching up with you in person in New York. Again, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, yes, let's definitely keep the lines of communication open. Uh, we certainly love to bring on guests who have a passion for this space and who want to grow this space. So let's definitely plan on a part two of this very, very soon. Uh, thank you, everyone who brought up questions. Appreciate you all. Sherry, have a wonderful day. And uh, we'll get you some clips from this show that you'll great. be able to share on social media uh, because we do have some great, I think, clips that we can put together uh, from this conversation that I think will be meaningful to not only the Web3 legal community, but also, I think, in onboarding lawyers who may have an interest in this tech. So again, thank you so much for joining us, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. Great to meet you all. Have a great day.